Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, February 19th. Amanda Borsheldan here with our diplomatic correspondent, Lisa Behrman, and military correspondent, Emmanuel Fabian. Hello to you both. Good morning. Hi, good morning. We have a lot to catch up on from this news-heavy weekend, including Foreign Minister Eli Cohen's trip to Kiev, alleged Israeli strikes on Damascus, a showdown between Police Commissioner Kobi Shabtai and Minister of National Security Itamar Ben-Gvir. But first, a word from our sponsor. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Last night, for the seventh straight week, tens of thousands of Israelis protested throughout the country against the judicial overhaul. Israeli Channel 13 puts the collective number at somewhere around a quarter of a million people. On Monday, the coalition is preparing to advance through the first elements of the overhaul package in the first of three necessary votes. Please check out this past Friday's episode of our What Matters Now weekly podcast series in which I spoke with constitutional law professor Susie Navot about the idea of grafting elements of other countries' judicial system onto Israel's. That's What Matters Now wherever you find your podcasts. Laser, you traveled with Foreign Minister Eli Cohen to Kiev last week, and I think that was your first trip back since the summer, if I'm not mistaken? That is correct. I was there for my third time in August. I was there for three weeks. And uh, with almost, we're almost at the year-long anniversary, and I was back for, I was there for one day in the country. But it was wow. certainly meaningful, and, and I was happy to be back. So, so far, as I understand it, Israel is still not caving into requests for arms, specifically the anti-air missile defense system that President Zelensky has vocally denounced Israel for not providing. But Israel is perhaps putting its money where its mouth is with uh, loan guarantees. Tell us a little bit more here. Sure. So throughout this this war, even under the uh, Naftali Bennett, Yair Lapid government, Israel has refused to provide any sort of weaponry to Ukraine. Their main demand, as you said, has been what they call Iron Dome. They don't really want the Iron Dome. I mean, they'd like to have it, but Iron Dome is a code word for Israeli air defense. Russia, which has not been able to uh, capture the territory it wanted, was stymied at the capital and, and is basically held to one area in the southeast right now, um, has moved to an aerial attack on energy infrastructure within uh, Ukraine with missiles and Iranian drones. So that air defense is doubly uh, pressing for the Ukrainians. But Israel, as we've spoken about many times, does not want to really antagonize the Russians because of deconfliction over Syria, 
uh, Jewish community in Russia and just no reason to take a side 100% in this fight uh, when when our relations with Russia are productive um, and something that Israel obviously wants to maintain. What with, with Netanyahu coming into government, there was speculation whether he would move it in one way or the other toward Kiev or toward Moscow. Eli Cohen, in his first week as foreign minister, gave that inaugural address in which the speculation was that he was signaling a shift toward Kiev, that Israel would speak out less against Russian war crimes. And then the next day he spoke with Russian foreign minister Sergei Lavrov. But uh, the fact that he is the most senior Israeli official to visit Ukraine during the war, he's the first Israeli minister to reach Kiev, shows that uh, actually the Netanyahu government is going to move the dial in Kiev's direction. Um, the main things that they were able to offer, that Israel is offering, is a $200 million loan guarantee. So if uh, the Ukrainians want to take out a loan from somewhere in order to build hospitals, rebuild health uh, infrastructure in the country, then Israel can serve as the guarantor to that loan. Um, they had been asking for a $500 million loan, which Israel did not provide, but they provided something. And the second thing, which might actually be much more meaningful, is a civilian air raid system. And Israeli officials tell me that they expect it to be there operating in the country, which is a vast country, within uh, a number of months, up to six months. So that could be really significant. Um, and it was underlined, the, the importance of these early warning systems was underscored as Cohen met Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kaleba, there were air raid sirens over Kiev. And there's footage that we put up too of them walking down the, the hallways and talking about the air raid sirens. So that is something, if indeed it gets deployed, which will be very, very meaningful for Ukraine and will do wonderful things for bilateral relations. Laser, did you check in with any of the Jewish communities while you were there for the, your one-day trip? Yes, and the political uh, tug of war between the various communities and the communal leaders uh, was on full display. So you had the rabbis representing different communities and different rabbis who are quite prominent and do wonderful work during the war, um, who were all there and, you know, trying to uh, get Cohen's ear and, and and speaking to us as well. So we had one of the chief rabbi claimants, Rabbi uh, Moshe Azman of Kiev, of the Brodsky Synagogue. He was there and Cohen actually went to his synagogue after visiting two churches on the trip. Um, so uh, he was there and he had a long conversation with Kuleba as well that that I saw him, uh, I saw them speaking after the Cohen-Kuleba meeting. And then you had rabbis from the Federation in Dnipro and you had other rabbis as well. So certainly the, the Jewish community uh, came out in force and Cohen did have a meeting with them before we headed, headed back to uh, Poland. Okay, Laser, thank you for all of that. Manny, turning to you, according to Syria's state news agency, SANA, the Israeli Air Force carried out a strike late last night targeting a residential neighborhood in Damascus. According to the report, the strike killed five people and left 15 others hurt. So I ask you, why now, Manny, assuming it's true? Israel admits that it does conduct airstrikes in Syria. It doesn't um, comment on individual strikes, but in general... Um, it strikes um, Iranian shipments of weapons to Iranian-backed groups in Syria and in Lebanon. So the timing is usually it's it's a safe to assume that something was on its way to an Iran-backed group in in Syria or Lebanon. So that's really with the it's hard to say why you know right now. Um, but uh, a week ago there was a report that an Israeli official warned Iran. Uh, saying that if it uses the humanitarian aid uh, following the earthquake as sort of a guise to deliver weapons, then Israel would strike. So uh, there, may, there may have been some sort of 
uh, weapons transported into Syria under the guise of humanitarian aid following the earthquake in uh, Turkey and Syria. Uh, and that is what possibly Israel struck. Do you have any insight on why this particular area of Damascus? I understand that most of the the dead are, in fact, civilians, no? Right. So this is where a lot of the uh, kind of sources differ here. So according to Syria, um, the strikes targeted a residential area in the Kafr Susa neighborhood. It's in southern Damascus. Uh, and it said that um, four civilians, one soldier were killed, and 15 more civilians were wounded. Um, the images from the scene showed very heavy damage to a, to a residential area. There was a few buildings that were damaged. There was a big hole in the ground and heavy damage all around it. So there it is not super clear if that was indeed an Israeli strike or perhaps an accidental um, strike and something else was supposed to be targeted. Uh, Syrian opposition sources claim that um, the damage in, in, in the residential neighborhood was in fact um, a Syrian air defense missile that misfired and landed in the residential area. Uh, this is something we have seen before. It's not unprecedented, um, but the level of the damage uh, may indicate that it was a strike rather than an air defense missile. Still, uh, it's something that and uh, we need to wait for slightly more evidence to actually say so. Um, additionally, um, the Syrian opposition media outlets claim that there were other strikes in the area, also in the same neighborhood against uh, some sort of Iranian-affiliated site, and uh, also uh, some other sites um, kind of near the Damascus International Airport and two other towns just south of uh, Damascus. But uh, there were no additional reports or uh, of of injuries or damage in those sites, just in the uh, residential area where there was a lot of footage and a lot of information about the uh, casualties there. Okay, Manny, thank you for that. We'll go to short break. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel Story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Laser, back with you for a story that I just find 
puzzling. Yesterday, an Israeli observer delegation at the African Union Summit in Addis Ababa was kicked out of the opening ceremony. I mean, I know that Israelis can get really loud, but what happened here? So uh, Israel gained its observer status in the African Union uh, in 2021. That was a very important diplomatic achievement um, for Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu has really focused on expanding Israel's footprint in the, on the continent and, and building up its relations there, as we've seen recently with the, the ties with Chad. Um, so getting that observer status is something that was really important for Israel and for Israel's um, adversaries on the continent and some of the countries which uh, really take back in the Palestinians as one of their core foreign policy goals, um, Israel's presence is unacceptable. Now, South Africa is one of those countries we know how critical they've been of Israel on the international stage and also domestically. And at this opening ceremony, Israel's foreign ministry's uh, deputy director general for Africa, Sharon Barley, was approached by guards and asked to leave. And she argued with them for several minutes. She's allowed to be there. Eventually, she did pick up and leave. And Israel puts the blame squarely, openly, publicly on South Africa and on Algeria. Algeria is a country with which we do not have diplomatic relations. South Africa, we do. South Africa's charge d'affaires will be summoned this week for a very stern diplomatic reprimand, addressing down by the foreign ministry director general, Ronan Levy, known as Maoz from his time in uh, Israel Security Services, not the person I would want to reprimand me, I'll be honest. He's somewhat an intimidating and, uh, character. So uh, Israel takes this very seriously, and this is really part of a bigger attempt to get Israel kicked out of the Af African Union as an observer. This surfaced last year in 2022, and it was able to be blocked by friendly countries. And there is supposed to be a six country uh, commission working on this. Some of countries are uh, in that commission are very friendly to Israel, some are not. Um, so this is going to be something that Israel has to work with. Diplomats told me to keep an eye on the African Union a couple weeks ago uh, on this meeting because they knew that something could surface like this. And it did, indeed, it did. And so, Laser, it was just merely her, her presence there that got her kicked out just for being there? Yeah, it's a move that is trying to show that these countries do not accept Israel's presence in the Union. Uh, it was not in South Africa. It was in Ethiopia, a country which is quite supportive of Israel's presence there. And I think it'll bring the spotlight on this commission and on these efforts to find a solution. Ultimately, I think it'll be difficult for these countries to kick Israel out because there's 55 countries in the union. Israel, I think, has relations with 47 of them. The vast majority uh, will not support this move. And I think uh, Israel will be able to stop it. But this is something that will continue to reach the headlines because, as I said, there are countries on the continent uh, which either don't have relations with Israel or see back in the Palestinians as a core foreign policy uh, principle. Okay, Laser, thanks for that. Manny, let's talk about the very public power struggle between the police commissioner, Kobi Shabtai, and National Security Minister, Itamar Ben-Gvir. Yesterday, Shabtai, in a very rare move, was interviewed on Channel 12, and he said some pretty startling statements, including... The situation we're in in Israel keeps me awake at night. We're on a steep slope of inflammatory argument. And this is an opportunity to tell everyone to breathe, calm down, to discuss, and not to become violent in words or deeds. So how did Ben Gvir react to that? So Ben Gvir has uh, yet to respond to the interview. I mean, I'm sure he was aware of it. It was uh, it was recorded on Friday morning and only aired on 
Saturday. Uh, and the real, um, I think the real title of this interview was Shabtai declaring that he would not step down from his post. We've seen um, kind of this wider clash between Shabtai uh, and Bengvir. I would, I want to say over the past few weeks, but it's definitely been something uh, for at least over a year now that the two have been clashing, even before he was a minister. Um, and there have been some calls from Bengvir's party that Shabtai should resign if he does not uh, kind of fall in line with um, with what Bengvir wants. Uh, and Shabtai said that he would would not resign and uh, would would remain in his role. And additionally, like you mentioned, he he did call on the Israeli public and on officials to uh, lower the flames and calm the situation down. He said that he police were preparing potentially for uh, political violence or a, a political assassination even, you know, terrible things that, that obviously the police would love to prevent. But regarding the clash uh, with Bengvir, we've seen um, over the past few weeks that Bengvir has kind of asked for one thing and police have said another thing and then uh, Bengvir has gone public with his kind of disagreement with police. Um, so we saw that there was this protest in Jerusalem and part of it was getting a bit violent. Uh, and during the protest, uh, Bengvir published a statement calling the Jerusalem um, chief of police to, to show up at his office for a kind of addressing down over his uh, lack of force against the protesters. And then there was another incident where police um, were involved in forcibly removing, uh, up uprooting trees that were um, uh, planted illegally in an area of the West Bank. And Bengvir also issued a video statement on that saying how he wouldn't allow the police to be involved with it and how it was terrible. So in response, um, the police went public as well and, and um, Shabtai published this missive to officers, which was also sent to journalists, in which he said that um, we are the police for all society and protesting as a democratic right, I quote. And uh, he, you know, backed his officers and said that um, as long as they're in accordance with the police rules, then then I support them. So we'll see if Bengvir again replies to this very long back and forth between the two and his recent comments uh, on Channel 12 uh, in his interview. And uh, we'll see. But definitely this is just a, an ongoing clash between the pair and they kind of have to work together because Bengvir is the minister and Shabtai is just a, a, you know, a public official, but he's not, he's not elected to the position. So we'll have to see. Really fascinating. Manny Laser, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.